We are Brianna Lister and Chloe Brooks, and we are talking about race in America. This podcast is about the experiences of different individuals characterized in different drawers of the racial hierarchy dresser and how that characterization has impacted their lives thus far. In this episode, we will be discussing what it is like to live in America today from different perspectives of different races and ethnicities of individuals. We will be having three guests from very different perspectives on the show today, all telling us about their different stories and lives. I'm Phil Nabashi Treitler, and this is Let's Give This Some Thought. It's a podcast about regular people coming together in communities of critical thought. In season one, undergraduate students taking my course on critical race and racism share their thoughts. Join me in introducing our first guest, Tiana Gibbs. She lives two very different lives when she is with her white mom versus when she is with her black dad. She often writes poems advocating for her community and is involved in many ethnic clubs and groups at Long Beach State. Today, we will learn about the experiences she has faced as a mixed woman in America and how she plans to create change within the racial hierarchy dresser. Hello. Thanks for having me. My first question to you is, what was it like growing up Black in America? Do you believe you have experienced poor treatment because of your skin color? Yes, I have. Most definitely. As a child, it was particularly hard because of the school system. I would go to school and see almost no one that looked like me. There were only five black kids in my school, including me, and I remember each one of their names. If I asked you to list all the white kids at your elementary school, could you? I felt alone, and it became even worse when I had to move schools and became the only black kid out of school on the rich side of town. I got bullied for how I looked because of the color of my skin, because my hair was so big and messy. No one wanted to play with me. I sat by myself under a tree every day at lunch, yet I still got straight A's. Growing up as a black kid, you learn very quickly that nothing is ever going to be handed to you. You have to always be the hardest worker in the room. So that's what I did. So going off the challenges that you faced in school, being that you were mixed, how do your experiences differ when you're with your black side of the family opposed to your white side? What would you say has been your biggest struggle? I predominantly grew up with my white family. This made it hard in the aspect that I didn't have a mom that knew how to do my black hair. So I was always viewed as the nappy headed kid. And at grocery stores holding my younger siblings hands, I was always assumed to be their mother instead of their sister, even as little as 12 years old. As a result of growing up with my white family, I have also taken on more of their culture than my black culture. On numerous occasions, I've been called whitewashed by my black family and by my black friends for talking more proper and listening to country music. When with my black family, I would often be embarrassed to be with them and I would shield myself in public because of their tendency to be louder and more impulsive. Society and living with my white family caused me to view my other family as ghetto. I also feel that in a way I was suppressed of my black culture by not being exposed to it enough. One of my biggest struggles was probably feeling like I didn't belong even in my own family. I feel this less now that I'm older and recognize my value, but as a child, my color just confused me, being that when I'm with my black family, I am the lightest person, and when I'm with my white family, I am the darkest. We have always gotten weird looks wherever we went, no matter what family I was with, and I think that that hurt me the most. So do you think your life would have been predominantly different if you were a white woman in America? Without a doubt, I do. 
Being that I am able to see both sides already because I am mixed, I see the differences every day. I see how my white cousin, who's the same age as me, has grown up completely different than I have. And I've seen the struggles of my white mother compared to the more difficult struggles of my black stepmom. If I was a white woman, I wouldn't have to fear being turned down for a job if I wore my hair in braids. I wouldn't have to keep mourning for my fellow black brothers and sisters that I see killed on the news. I wouldn't have to fear for my brother when he walks down the street in a hoodie to play basketball with his friends or for fear for my dad's life if he got pulled over. There's just certain differences and privileges that you can't deny. So yes, my life would be very different if I was a white woman in America. I see how passionate you are about your community. What are you most passionate about and how do you believe you can make a difference? Within my community, I'm most passionate about creating change through education, ending the systematic racism that exists within our schools and our country. I know that if I'm thinking logically, this will never happen in my lifetime, but one can only hope and try. I want people to be able to listen to others and understand their side of the story, to have empathy for a race who built this country on their slashed backs and got no love for it. I also hope for better education in Black communities and the end to a cycle that feels Black-on-Black crime. We need more support and love for one another. One way I hope to make a difference is to teach in a predominantly Black school one day and be someone for these kids to look up to, to positively make an impact one student at a time. This has always been my dream. I want to use my gift and my passion for poetry and write a book or two and encourage others to help create change. Your willingness to help younger generations is so inspiring. What's one piece of advice you can give them to be progressive in making change for equality? One thing I would say is just to erase race. We are all humans and should be viewed as one humanity. The color of your skin, where you came from, it all shouldn't matter. If you shift your mindset to this, equality is undeniable. The only reason we think like this now is because we were taught to. So teach others. Teach them to love and to view everyone as a human, not a race. What do you wish to say to people listening to this podcast today, wondering what it's like to be someone in a different racial drawer of this hierarchy dresser? Take the time to educate yourself. It's really just all about education and being able to empathize with people of color for our history and the way we are still being oppressed. Be able to listen and understand what we experience without bringing your own experiences into the conversation to negate ours. If anything, just take a minute to reflect and think about all that I've just said today. Ask yourself if you'd really be able to walk in my shoes. Thank you, Tiana, so much for joining us today and sharing your unique experience and your passion for change. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. We have Melissa Patterson with us today, and we are talking race and ethnicity. So our first question today is, what is it like to be a woman of color in America? That's a really deep question. Deep right off the bat. Wow. Wow. What is it like? Well, I can't speak for every other woman. Yeah. I can only speak for myself. Um, From one, I would say the first thing that comes to mind, honestly, is strength. Um, there's a certain level of strength and resilience, I feel, as a woman of color. Um, and I do feel like a standout. Um, I feel like I am in constant um, awareness mm-hmm. of 
how I'm how I am presenting myself only when I'm outside of my own people, mm-hmm. right? So when I'm amongst whites, when I'm in corporate America, mm-hmm. I am careful in my speech, careful in how I am moving. Yeah. Um, and it takes a certain level of strength, adaptability, resilience. So that's what it feels like for me. I agree. I agree. Um, question number two is how have your experiences been different for you being a woman of color in New York versus in the Inland Empire and now in San Diego County? Oh, wow. That's a really, really good one. Mm-hmm. Um, in New York, there I, I fall into right. a majority because yeah. Puerto Ricans are everywhere. Yeah. So I've always felt um, my community. Comfortable. Yeah, super comfortable. There was always my food, the bodegas, the music was playing, you know, the bandanas, the the, the flags. Yeah. There's a pride in the communities, especially where I was raised in Brooklyn. So very different. When I came to California, it was like, what is a Puerto Rican? Like they didn't even know what that was. And then when they learned some of my friends, like my neighbors were like, oh, they speak Spanish. And I'm like, whoa. It was an awakening to realize how the rest of the country, like I thought I was in a different country actually when I came to Inland Empire. Right. So total different vibe and people were super confused. They didn't know what to make of me. They're like, I think you look Spanish, but you're not. It was almost like I was androgynous. Like they could not Mm -hmm. figure me out. Mm Um, Didn't, couldn't tell where you belong. No, no. And then I had to give them like the visual map of where Puerto Rico was because yeah. they didn't even know where the hell that was at. Right? So that was yeah. different. And then there was a lot of like, oh, I think I know. It's like like Rosie Perez. Like, I guess that's the first thing a lot of people thought of. And I'm like, no, I'm nothing like Rosie Perez. Right. So people just needed to place me somewhere when I came into the Inland Empire. And I didn't care if they were uncomfortable because they didn't know where I was at. I was like, I'm fully comfortable. I know what I'm at. And, you know, I know who I am. I know where I come from. But you could see people needing to understand where to place me. They weren't sure whether to place me with Mexicans is what they understood as, you know, Latinos yeah. or yeah. Hispanics. And I hate the word Hispanics. But, you know, that's how mm-hmm. they, they weren't sure. Um, or they say, well, you're black. But I wasn't, are you black? Yeah. They're like, but you don't look black. Like, they were just so confused. They didn't know where to place me. I'm like, how about you just place me as Melissa? I'm Puerto Rican right. and I'm from New York and I'm all of that. I'm black, I'm Latina, and I'm a New Yorker. And how about you just find a way to get comfortable with that? Right, get comfy with what you're given. Yeah. Like, they think there's three, like white, Mexican, black. That's it. Yeah, that's it. And it was like, select a side. I'm like, yeah, sorry, I'm not going to make it easy for you. Right. Um, so people, you know, they need to figure that out. Um, but I don't care about other people's discomfort because I've, yeah. I've walked being uncomfortable. I mean, being a woman of color, you know what it feels like to be uncomfortable, um, especially when you work in corporate America. And that's all I've yeah. done in my whole professional life. Yeah. Um, but like I said, strength, I'm, you know, I'm agile. I know how to adapt. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So... I know I can rise to that. So I, I, I hold it to other people to rise to that. They can mm-hmm. figure it out. Mm-hmm. Okay, next, I want to know what experiences would you say have occurred to you simply because of your skin color and not because of other factors like you are a woman? Yes, 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 yes. 
Um, so much. I mean, goodness, so much. Um, and then, you know, it's interesting because a lot of what I've experienced, I only can relate to my last 20 years here in California versus New York. And, um, just in this past six months alone, I've had at least three to four different incidents in one hand, you know, which is a lot yeah. compared to what I'm, I've witnessed before. Um, but the one that probably stands out the most will probably be my interaction in Santa Barbara. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, visiting Santa Barbara and having to go um, for a rest, you know, to a restaurant to, mm -hmm. to get a seat mm -hmm. at the bar. And there's a certain level of um, entitlement or appeasement yeah. that people who are of whiter, lighter skinned mm -hmm. um, believe that they should have first something, you right. know, or are entitled to me, why you? Um, and so that 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 happened on several occasions with um with Santa Barbara, you know, the woman, and it was a woman, so it wasn't a man, you know, trying to say, why are you sitting down? I should be sitting down. Um and I don't know whether you need me to tell you the incident or just yeah, tell you, yeah. Yeah. You tell us. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so you know. The restaurant was full. It was a, a restaurant by the by the water, mm -hmm. and we really, my husband and I both wanted to really sit down. My husband was waiting downstairs, mm -hmm. um, and to see whether if there was an open seat, I was gonna text him, "Hey, come on up. I got a seat mm -hmm. by the bar, yeah. open seating." Well, there was a couple waiting by the wait um, by the uh, hostess, mm -hmm. and the hostess wasn't at her station, but they were waiting to get seated. So I went straight to the bar and there was an open seat. Mm -hmm. So I sat down, put my bags down and was about to text. And the woman who went to the host was online at the hostess bar and walks over to me and white woman. Mm -hmm. And she was maybe in her fifties, I would say. And she says to me, um, excuse me, can you see that we were waiting in line um, to have a seat? And mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, but this is the bar, yeah. right? Like there's no, yeah. Oh, this is the bar. She yeah. was like, well, we're waiting on line. And, we should be sitting there. So she had this sense of like, ah, that's my seat. Mm -hmm. I get to sit down first. There's no way you're going to come up and just sit and take a seat. Yeah. Um, so I, for a moment there, I said, maybe I'm going to give her the benefit of the doubt. Maybe there is, this is in Santa Barbara, they do things differently. Maybe <laughs> they reserve bar seats, you know, <laughs> like for a second thing, you know, you have a little moment of Am I crazy? You yeah. just like it just slips in. Like, yeah. am I crazy? And I still have this hope for humanity that people are not that much of a they're right. not that that much of an asshole. <laughs> I'm wondering how many times were you treated stupid or talked down to because you do have skin color and a little melanin in your skin? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. How many times has this happened to you? Um, it does happen, but I'm so comfortable with correcting people right that it takes only a few minutes for people to realize that i'm not the one <laughs> not it the does one. yeah it, it, like, it's okay like you know someone can try, try and you know and you you know 
I can read fairly quickly where someone's going and when they're speaking to me in the condescending or in an unknowing way. And I look at it as a challenge and as an opportunity to correct their ass um, and have them take a seat. And so while it does happen, I'm comfortable with doing that without losing my cool. Mm -hmm. So I know how to do, um, how should I say, intellectual batter Mm. is what I do. And that's my way of just correcting someone. Um, It's uncomfortable. It always pisses me off, Um, but I can't react. So I'm super careful about not reacting. And it depends on how the person responds. If they're going to continue, which I'm trying to think of a situation where someone continued to believe that they were smarter than me. Mm -hmm. And I can't for the life of me at this moment, recall a moment where I walked away feeling like, oh my God, they still believe that they knew more that I was a dumbass or I was stupid. Mm-hmm. No, because I, I walk away always knowing one, I'm not dumb. So I already always know that piece of it. Yes. And I'm not as interested in having to have win them over. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm more interested in always teaching a lesson. What do you wish for people to know or learn at the end of this interview about what it's like or how it is to live in a different war? Yes. Biggest thing, my biggest thing is teach your own. I feel this tremendous weight to have to educate and explain myself Mm -hmm. um, to white people who just don't get it. It ain't my job to help. Mm -hmm. I feel like those who are in the privileged seat, it is your job to educate. It is your job to correct, correct your family members Mm -hmm. because we have family members Mm -hmm. and I'm going to put it out there. Even in my family, very few, but they are there, right? I have family members who are more lighter skin and there's a colorism Mm -hmm. that we're not going to go into right now. Um, But I will say that it is your responsibility. Thank you for letting me interview you. You had some really good insight. I know the listeners are really going to appreciate your responses. Any final words? Any final thoughts? Uh, no. Uh, I think it was great questions, by the thank way. You. So thank you for, <laughs> of course. for selecting me. Join me in introducing our next guest, Gene Pryor. He is a great leader and advocate for his community and is currently playing football for the University of Hawaii. Today we will learn about the experiences he has faced as a black man in America. Thank you for having me. So the first question that we have for you today is, what was it like growing up as a black child in America? Have you ever experienced poor treatment because of your skin color? Oh. Growing up as a as a black child in America, uh, it wasn't it wasn't easy, but also wasn't hard because of the generation that I grew up in and the places where I grew up. I really didn't uh, experience much mistreatment. Um, it was a couple bad times here and there, but the way I look at it is just ignorant people um, who don't know anything, and so I never took it really personally. Uh, just I never really saw it just based off of how it looked. I just thought people were just ignorant. 
Have you found that your experiences changed or became harder as you've gotten older? Um, yes, as I've gotten older, uh, I've seen a lot more uh, stereotyping and um, a little bit more mistreatment just because of my age and the sport I play. Um, I guess you could say that a lot of people expect uh, black people to only succeed um, just off of sports and they see if they have like a fancy car, they must be like a ball player or a rapper or something like that. And so as I've gotten older, I've experienced more of those type of things, but I still keep the same mindset that this is only uh, because of ignorance and people not knowing um, like the real situation of like why people are successful. Okay, so do you think that your life would be any different if you were a white man in America? Um, to be honest, uh, no, because I feel like everybody, um, don't matter whether you're black or white, you all, you all experience some type of racism or some type of stereotype. So I really, I really feel like there's no way of getting out of it. Maybe if I was white, it would be like a lighter type um of stereotyping and maybe i'll be accepted into more places but in all reality everybody gets stereotyped everywhere you go like there's really no getting out of it what's the biggest change you'd like to see in your community and america as a whole um just uh less hate and more love i guess uh, a lot of people um, in America, whether you're black or white or Mexican or whatever race you are, it's always um, it's always if someone is not doing right, it's always because of their color or where they come from, right? And so I'd rather see uh, us have more of an, an understanding um, of people and to show more um, love and acceptance rather than show hate and um Want, want to ba banish anyone that doesn't fit uh, your feelings and your expectations for a person in life. So going off your point of equality, what advice would you give younger generations to come on how they can be progressive in making change for equality? Uh, one of the ways I see that um, I could give younger advice, I could give younger generations advice for life is to not blame others for you not being able to succeed in life right so uh, one of the problems that i see like amongst the like the black community uh the most is that even though everybody faces hard times but it always seems to uh, appear in the black community that i can't succeed because the white man's holding me down right it's never uh, it's always finger pointing it's never pointing the thumb right back at yourself. So a lot of people never really look into the fact of why I'm not where I want to be in life or um, why can't I have these things? It's always because someone else is holding me down. I was playing the blame game. So um, the advice I'll give the younger generation is just to make it out, make it like make it on your own and don't blame anybody for your uh, mistakes. So lastly, what do you wish to say to people listening to this podcast today, wondering what it's like to be someone in a different drawer in this hierarchy dresser? 
Um, I would just say to keep fighting for change um, and all the places that people feel like uh, it's not right, but to do it in the right ways. Uh, equality starts with uh, people having the right mindset about one another, right? And so that comes down to not judging a book by its cover. And I feel like this is a problem nowadays as far as stereotyping and judging someone based off their the way they look or the way they act or what color they are. And if we can start the change by destroying all this and um, getting to know one another before you even have a, ju a, a judgmental thought on your mind, um, I feel like this will help out change, right? And if we could do this, that like that would bring the world closer. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us today and sharing your unique experience and your passion for change. Uh, thank you for having me. Um, I feel like it was very beneficial uh, to come to you today and just talk about uh, my, my past and some of the ways maybe we could change the world for the better, right? And um, maybe this, maybe somebody listening to this will benefit off of this and maybe take some notes on how to promote change in the world. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Let's Give This Some Thought, a podcast made by and for critical thinkers. Original art, Meditations on Black Womanhood by Vilna Bashi Trailer. Original music, Brooklyn Pound by Tailored Music. And I'm your host, Vilna Bashi Trailer. Leave us a review on your favorite platform, send us a message, or write out a comment. Thanks for listening. Thank <laughs> you.